Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Right, this is our best jazz of 2017, best jazz recordings of 2017 show. That this you're hearing, one of the entries. We thought we would begin with this one because we're not 100 percent sure how to pronounce the, the name of the particular ensemble, and that will sort of you know give you a sense of our casualness. And when I say our, uh, Noah Behrman is as always here with us, uh, jazz pianist, composer, educator, author, recording artist, and serves as artistic director of the nonprofit Resonant Motion. And making her debut, we're so excited about this. We usually have Jen Allen here with us, uh, and we're sad that Jen can't be here, but we're really excited that Amanda Monaco, jazz guitarist and recording artist, is listening to her on Tidal today in my streaming service. It's not mine. I mean, Jay-Z, it's Jay-Z's. But uh, <laughs> uh, composing a teacher at Berkeley College of Music and uh, the artistic director of Convergence Arts uh, is joining us in studio also. Uh, she's brought a great lineup of stuff that she's been listening to. Gene Seymour is the mayor of the show, uh, writer, professional spectator, a pop culture maven, jazz reviewer, book reviewer, all kinds of stuff. He's in the WNPR Midtown Manhattan studios, but you'll hear him clear as day. Um, the recording that you're hearing right now is called River of P- Perception. It is from a, an album titled Volume 1, Inter B. Uh, and we think that the artist is called <laughs> May Sun. Could be my son. It's M-A-E period S-U-N, all caps, uh, if you're looking for it. And Noah, this is one of yours, so uh, you can begin, get us going here. The, the key name here is Haley Nicewanger. Yeah, a wonderful alto saxophonist. She's playing soprano on this record and composer. Um, a lot of great young musicians on this. Um, you hear, you were just hearing a guitar solo by Andrew Renfro, who's a Hart School graduate. And uh, do you know who did the finger snaps? Because I thought the finger snaps were especially well done. I wasn't there in the studio, so I can't <laughs> say. Um, but they were well done. Yeah. Um, great vibraphone by a young vibraphonist named Nakara Warren, who. Um, hopefully it's not embarrassing to say I remember when she was a little girl and her grandfather, Kenny Barron, would sometimes bring her in uh, when I was having lessons with him. And mm-hmm. um, But I'm really um, inspired by this record. I mean, it, there's a, 
it's no secret that there are a lot of really proficient young musicians out there right now. Um, but hearing some who are really digging into deeper meaning. And um, so this is an album based on the teachings and philosophies of the Buddhist um, monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, when you think of uh, Buddhist monasticism and um, philosophy, you don't necessarily think of something that's as hard driving as what we were just hearing. Mm-hmm. But um, that energy field is something they explore with great sincerity and diversity on this record. I think Haley did a great job in putting this music together. Yeah, she's a, a Haley Nicewanger comes out of the same Portland, Oregon uh, jazz scene that gives us uh, Esperanza Spalding. I think they may have even toured together at one point. Uh, Wolfie, who's uh, engineering and, and helping produce this show, uh, may be intrigued to know that David Fraser Jr., who plays drums, also plays drums for SZA. Wolfie's really into SZA right now. Mm-hmm. So I always like to hear to have the other panelists who may or may not have had some kind of engagement prior with this particular music. I always like to hear what they think. So, uh, Amanda, what are you hearing here? I thought it was really powerful. I thought it was really emotional. And I didn't know the background on it. And when I did learn the background um, on on it, I was moved even further. Um, being a fan of Thich Nhat Hanh and having read some of his stuff, uh, I thought that this interpretation, it, I mean, it, yeah, it made it more powerful for me. It was very... Um, uh, musically expressive in a way that, uh, going with what Noah said, you wouldn't expect such intensity. But then when you think about passion and and devotion and all of that kind of philosophy, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's way better than... Uh, Insane Clown Posse's Thich Nhat Hanh <laughs> album. I don't think they really got his message. So, Gene, uh, how about you? What are you uh, hearing here? I don't know if this well, is well. Back, a... back, back in back in the old days, uh, they 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 called such things fusion. And I think uh, what distinguishes what I just heard from what used to be called fusion, or labeled as fusion, or packaged as fusion, is a kind of focused energy. One of the things that they used to complain about jazz fusion back in the 70s and 80s was that it tended to wander around in too many different directions. Um, I, I I concur with Amanda that, this, that there's a very tight, tight, tightly wired, I would call it, um, uh, uh, force being delivered here. And, that, and, that, and, I, and I think it's very encouraging. I'm, I'm encouraged by a lot of what this generation is coming up with. And... Uh, intrigued to see where they take this. Well, that's a good segue, actually. So um, Haley Neiswanger is about 27 years old. Cecile McLaurin-Salvan is 28 years old. Jean, uh, she is one of your favorites uh, of this year, a vocalist that everybody's been excited about since she burst onto the scene about two years ago. I, I would, I mean, I could simply say at the outset that she is the finest jazz vocalist to emerge in the 21st century and just leave it at that. Uh, when she came out a couple of years ago, there was a tendency to think, oh, she's fully formed. There's nothing else she needs to do. But what's become the most astonishing thing about her, and she is astonishing in so many ways, is that she is growing and she is using, she's not just, what again, I, I use the word wandering around, just picking up influences. And she has a lot of influence. She can sing Gut Bucket Blues. She can sing Broadway standards. She can sing art songs. But she's bringing them together to form her own kind of aesthetic um, that she's carrying with her 
as she gets older. And as you say, she's only 28 years let, old. And let, so let's she's creating room that. for her growth. Yeah. yeah. So the yeah, uh, the album, uh, first of all, we should say, is it's kind of a, a double album if such things still exist, uh, is uh, called Dreams and Daggers. You're going to hear, I think this this is a Bob Duro tune, right? Uh, no, me, this is... Uh, that, tell no, me what this, this thing is. Uh, no, no, this is, I don't think this is her. I think it's Bob Duro. This is uh, somebody else. But okay. yes, it's, it's she does do a couple of Duro tunes, like Double Make. She anyway. does. Yes, anyway, she does. here we go. She Tell does. me what they're saying can't be true. Just a slave. Yes, I am just your slave. Loving you the way I do. So tell me what they're saying can't be true. Satisfied, no. I'm not satisfied. I don't know when you'll say goodbye. But I'm praying that you'll say Yeah, it's always painful to uh, fade these things because they're getting kind of interesting. But um, well, so, but, but, but it's enough. But it's enough because in that, in that, in that, in those few first few lines, you hear everything she can do mm. at once, and, and and you feel the room she can she's creating for herself to go beyond it. Um, I, I'm I'm just floored by this by this album. I, well, I want to go go around the table here. Have the other. Um, this might be one that I react to a little bit too. But uh, Amanda, uh, obviously, everybody knows who this person is, and everybody's known for a while. What What are you hearing now? Oh well, I mean, she has phenomenal chops. It goes without saying, but I I was really impressed in just the two A sections of the tune, how she did go through all those different. Uh, timbres of her voice and really hint at all of the different techniques that she's capable of executing, but it didn't seem showy. It seemed very expressive. It seemed very organic. And it was very emotional. Yeah. Um, And it could have been, I feel like, it just, just her, her command is so powerful. And then at the same time, it also is so almost on the edge of, of, teetering off i don't know there was just something about it it's just mm. yeah no i like I, those are all good descriptions I how about you very now? moved by it <laughs> I, it's beautiful and i i think weirdly the older i get the less surprised i am to hear young people creating things this mature spent spent a lot of time in 2017 thinking about um young people creating music and i think there's a bit of a perception not completely unfounded that young musicians now may be developing proficiency but are less fully formed as expressive artists with something to say and i think part of that is that music schools are producing more proficient musicians mm. than there were 30 years ago yeah, I, but i, I don't agree. think there are yeah. necessarily any fewer meaningful artists making mature statements i mean yeah 28 is not if you look at some of the main uh contributors to i mean Charlie Parker had done plenty by mm-hmm. 28, and you know Clifford Brown was 25 when he died. I, I think there's so much access now to the 
media and the technology that allows people who are that determined and have that kind of vision to bring it to really glorious fruition. We should say that, I mean, this this particular performer, if you don't know her name or don't know her work, has been talked about in a very different way from most singers. I mean, Wynton Marsalis said this is a voice that you get in a generation or two. You get, you get this once. She's often described by the musicians who work with her from the time she was, you know, basically like high school age as having just this weird kind of Athena sprung full grown from the brow of Zeus understanding of all the music that she was singing and also her own style. Whoa. I just want, I, 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 I would just quickly say, Gene, that I, I like this album so much better than what came before. What came before has been highly praised. Yeah. It has won a Grammy. I yeah. feel like this is the album where she's yes. not, I don't, she, I don't think she cares anymore whether she sounds like Billie Holiday or, or any, like just the, the way that she sings, like even Devil May Care, which is a Bob Duro tune and which has some right. kind of hard intervals in it for singers. She's just like being herself. And I like that. Yeah, no, I mean, and it was recorded at the Village Vanguard, and of course, which is the 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 holy dive of jazz, and some great classic recordings, career making recordings have been recorded at the Vanguard, and I think this is this fits in. I would place this at or near the top of the many albums that were made at the Village Vanguard. All right, so and these are artists that were made at the Village Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, these are. By the way, read the Fred Kaplan profile of her in the New Yorker. Just dig through your pile; you'll find it, and or you could type it into search. But um, so, Amanda, you're up. This is uh, we're we're sort of done for a while with the Enfant Terrible uh, group. This is Jim Self and John Shadani, a couple of guys who've been around for a while. Uh, before we play the cut, tell us anything you might want us to be listening for. Well, I think the interplay between them is great. Um, I think it's unusual that it is a tuba guitar record or uh, a fluba guitar record. Uh, Jim Self plays an instrument called the fluba, which is basically a gigantic uh, tuba-style flugelhorn. Um, and I was really this this record really just caught my ear because it's so creative. It's so um, it's so well executed, but it's also so light. There's mm. just something about it just very, very intimate, just like two guys playing some music and listening to each other, very conversational and just a lot mm. of fun. I really, we're going to play it now. I really dig it. Uh, um, and I do want to say also, everybody listening to this show, with maybe six exceptions, has heard Jim Self play the tuba. You just don't know it. And afterwards, maybe we can explain to you how it is that you have heard Jim Self, in a very notable way, play the tuba. But um, yeah, I really love this, uh, Amanda, and I, like, I love the whole album. I'm going to be listening to it uh, a lot. So Noah, I uh, want you to react to. I, I've got a real soft spot for well-played duos, duets, and uh, this is this whole record is definitely one of them. I'm really glad that Amanda hipped me to this one. Um, interplay is so important, and so you know the one of the other 
perceptions of jazz today is that it's become very cerebral mm-hmm. and certainly there's a lot of intellect that needs to go into learning it but that sense of spontaneous and joyful engagement in the in the moment is part of what this music is all about. Right, and they're playing some standards and playing them pretty straight up most of the time. You can just, you know, and this is in Walk Bud. By the way, the album's called Floating in Winter. Uh, yeah, Gene, you want to say a thing or two? Well, at the outset, I want to say that one of the reasons why I like doing this show is that I come, is coming across things that I didn't hear all last year and and, and, and and my conferees turning me on to these things. And I was, yeah, yeah, of course I knew who Jim Self was for years and years, but I had not heard this. And if I had, um, it would have soared to my uh, t- to my list um, on wings of whatever. Yeah. And, uh, well, wings of brass, yeah. probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, wings I, of brass. No, as promised, so. I do want to tell you where it is that you've heard Jim Self. Everybody listening has heard Jim Self play the tuba in a very prominent way. Here we go. Right, just because so, we're pressed for time, uh, I went to the. That's whole right. Thing. Jim but Self is an alien. He is the tuba. He's the sa- he is the voice of the mothership in that famous scene in Close Encounters. So you've all heard Jim Self uh, played the tuba. So uh, we've got to kind of head towards a break here, uh, just so we get to as many of these cuts as possible. So Amanda, um, perhaps wittingly, perhaps unwittingly. You picked the work of a University of Connecticut graduate uh, as one of your uh, picks. Uh, the group is Current, spelled with a K, K-U-R-R-E-N-T, uh, but it's Brian Charette uh, playing organ. Uh, Yukon 94, born in Meriden, Connecticut. That's what yes. I know about him, but, but oh, you knew all that, all right? Yes, yeah. I'm from Wallingford. Oh, 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 this is part of that whole Meriden-Wallingford jazz axis that we heard so much about. <laughs> but interestingly enough, Brian and I didn't meet until about five years ago, and we met in New York. And um, so we did not know each other in Connecticut. Um, I did not go to UConn, so I didn't know him there either. But um, I've been playing with him for a few years now. And I first learned about him from his, I believe it was a steeplechase uh, music for organ sextet record spelled S-E-X-E-T-T-E. And it was just such a fun record. And um, we started playing together, and, and I really like this record of his because he's exploring sort of his roots of synths and weird sounds, and and it's a quirky record and something he's really wanted to do for a long time, which I, is... And before we play this, I should tell you that I, I don't know I don't know that it's the same configuration as current K U R R E N T that you're about to hear. But Brian Charette and his trio will be, form, be performing at the Palace Theater's Jazz at the Poly or Poly Club uh, in Waterbury on Friday night. Once they clear the snow away this week, it's with shows at seven and nine. Uh, go to palacetheaterct.org for tickets. So it's always fun when one of the cuts is somebody who's actually gigging around here right now. So we're going to go out of this uh, with Mono Imano from Current.
That is the music of Harold Mayburn, who's been a pianist forever. Uh, he's 81 years old. Uh, I think that's Jimmy Cobb on drums, drums too. Is yep. also, I think they've been working together for like 50 years or something. Uh, and uh, the song, of course, is I Get a Kick Out of You. It's from To Love and To Be Loved. So we're moving away from the Enfant Terrible and towards the wise uh, old folks. Uh, and you're going to hear about three of Jazz's wise old folks right in a row here. But uh, Amanda, this is another one of your cuts. So Amanda Monaco, uh, tell us uh, what you like about Harold right now. Well, I love everything about Harold. Right. What's um, not to like? Yeah, I mean, he was my teacher at William Patterson College Woo! in the mid-90s, and we've stayed in touch ever since. Um, and, um, in fact, I used to drive him into the city once a week because I was uh, going to teach students, and he was uh, going home. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it was really, yeah, it was great. We So many a Thursday afternoon in the car with Harold Mayburn. Um, I really liked this song because he actually doesn't use the standard um, song form. Um, mm-hmm. What some people don't know or don't know is that jazz standards have two parts. They have a verse and a chorus, and most people ignore the verse. The verse is usually what you hear in a Broadway musical when they start singing something and then they go into the mm-hmm. main melody. So what Harold did is he actually took the verse and he cut off the first half of the chorus, and so he starts halfway through the tune, basically. Yeah. And I thought that um, that was really cool. Um, and I know he was really excited about it because I had gone to his gig right after he'd recorded it. And he's like, we're doing this really cool thing with I Get a Kick Out of You. <laughs> you got to hear it. I can't wait for you to hear it. You know. So. Well, well I, I even noticed that there was part of the prelude to the song. Right. My story is much too sad to be told. And yeah, he, the and verse. he inserts that into the song, which, mm-hmm. is, which is really cool. But he Very solos clever. over it, too. That's the other yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. So, Noah, you're the piano player here. Well, I'll briefly tell you my first uh, becoming aware of Harold Mayburn came when I was a senior in high school. And actually, Amanda and I, we've known each other that long, went into a club called Bradley's to hear a wonderful Memphis piano player named James Williams, one of my biggest influences. And I got up all my courage and I asked James if I could get a lesson with him. And he said, you don't want to study with me. And he wrote Harold Mayburn's number on a cocktail napkin. (laughs) And... uh, um, and what I came to learn is that, so Harold is at this point the oldest, he's basically the patriarch, living patriarch of a Memphis, Tennessee piano lineage that started with a, a wonderful pianist named Finest Newborn Jr. And uh, and so there's so much history and depth of soul and just a very specific sound that's been an important kind of sub-thread in jazz uh, that Harold oozes essentially every note he plays. The, I, I just quickly say, first of all, I should remind uh, Wolfie's pointing out that I haven't reintroduced you guys. So Noah Behrman, a fabulous pianist and many other things. But I don't want to in- fully introduce you. It'd take too long. But uh, And uh, Noah and I also are going to be doing uh, another event together, which we'll tell you about in a little while. <clears throat> it's on the 31st, though, so circle your, your calendars. Um, <clears throat> Amanda Monaco. Is a, a guitarist and recording artist, uh, as is Noah. Uh, Gene Seymour is a critic and uh, the man who makes sure we we do this thing every year when he puts out his uh, best recordings uh, of the previous year. So um, I just want to really say I'm such a jazz poser, you know. I, like, I really don't know that much about jazz, but there's <laughs> there's a song by Ben Sidron called "Piano Players." Do you know this song? I Where he just, heard it, he just no. sings the name of every piano player who's ever been an influence, but he makes it all work. That's, kind of us. And that's Her- amazing. And so Harold Mayburn is in there. Uh, that's when I when I saw this. On the list, I thought, well, I at least know that much about who Harold Mayburn is. Uh, all right, so he's 81, um, and uh, but he's a mere pup 
compared to our next artist, uh, Ahmad Jamal, who I believe is 87. Uh, and Gene, this is one of yours. Uh, it's we're going we're to hear a, a ballad. Of the, anything you want to say before people hear it? Uh, you all know who Ahmad Jamal is, even if you. You're not sure you know who Ahmad Jamal is, but what you may not know about him, besides the fact that he's 87 and and anything better than he was at 37, is that uh, Miles Davis, and Miles didn't have room to praise a lot of people or claim them as influences. For most of his life, he said that he learned almost everything he had to say about playing, about dealing with rhythm and space from Ahmad Jamal. So... We well, can start with that. You can't beat that. All right. Here's Autumn Leaves. Um, it is from the album Marseille. So, well, let's go back to the piano player here. We've, you know, we've got a piano player here. We've got a great piano player here, Noah Berman. Thanks, So, uh, so uh, yeah, what are you hearing here? Well, Ahmad Jamal is one of my formative influences. I, I'm glad Gene picked this particular tune. Um, not only does he still sound great, Ahmad, I mean, Gene sounds great too, but uh, uh, in his own way. Um, but uh, over 60 years before this recording was made, Ahmad did a version of autumn leaves that actually provide not a lot of people know this which is weird but uh, miles davis himself along with cannonball adderley did a very influential version of autumn leaves that was actually pretty much a carbon copy of ahmad's own arrangement from a little bit before that and uh um but one of the things i've always loved about ahmad jamal is how he's evolved um Mm -hmm. he's well known for things he did in the 50s and uh, very early 60s but he kept going through different stylistic periods and exploring. He didn't just keep rehashing the same stuff the same way over and over again. And I, it's great to hear how many of the elder states people of the music are continuing to embody that searching energy. Yeah, and Amanda, I feel like when, you know, as a musician, maybe you can talk about this, when you interpret a song that a lot of people know, and they might know three or four different versions of a song like Autumn Leaves, and maybe the average person has a Nat King Cole version of it in their head, but maybe uh, a little bit more of a jazz savant has maybe the Miles Davis version. It, you. I'm always amazed at how many different things musicians can find in a song, because that's a song I know very well, but I've never heard it like that. 
But there's something about Ahmad Jamal, and I've always felt this way about him. He evokes a feeling. He just in me, he 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 evokes this feeling. His playing is so exquisite, and yet it's so soulful at the same time. And there's just something about it that I find. I don't want to use the word refreshing, but but it's it's just it's so optimistic and beautiful and emotional and and you know from the first note that it's him, mm-hmm. which is always it's just just so amazing. It's so intimate. It's almost like he plays the first notes and you're like, oh hello. <laughs> so I have to mention. I, yeah, I have to ahead. mention also that that you can't really talk about this out this track without mentioning the group because yep. the the dynamics between the other guys are so incredible. The percussionist Manola Badrea Badrena, uh, you heard him very much pronounced, but also James Kamak, who's been with him like forever, um, and Herlin Riley, the drummer who has emerged from the Winton Marsalis. Uh, 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 you know, phase to uh, to become a very to, to to gain even more flexibility and strength from working with someone like Jamal. So, I mean, just the dynamics between rhythm section and pianist. He didn't invent it, but he he is he certainly has mastered it. And you know, I I think it needs to be said. There's a kind of generosity there too that in both of these tracks that we just heard. Like I was noticing, the bass is mixed way forward in that song. You know, I mean, you. You're you're not going to miss what's going on with the bass there, and in the Mayburn cut, you know, if you just heard that that one cut all the way through, and you thought it was from an Eric Alexander album, you'd be forgiven because he just really lets the sax go there. I think as these guys get older, it's like a, the the egos maybe a little less mixed up in it, and they really want everybody to be be heard. Although that's a basic jazz tenet anyway. Yeah, well, I think they they there's a thing they want to express, and they want to use whatever tools. Um, will best bring that to fruition and which may or may not at the forefront be their own playing. Right. So uh, we're staying here in the octogenarian category. Uh, this is somebody the octogenarian that, uh, pianist category even. <laughs> yes. Uh, subcategory, yeah. This is an artist that I, I heard first in college and I was in college a really long time ago. Um, and uh, it's Eddie Palmieri. Uh, I believe he's born in the Bronx, but he's Puerto Rican and I think that's one of the reasons it's uh, very important to be playing him today. Uh, he's 81. Uh, and obviously Puerto Rico is on our minds and in our hearts right now because they're still just recovering from the devastation. He's having a year, I think. I mean, I think Palmieri has been around forever is having a year. Um, Noah, do you want to try pronouncing this? Because I'll screw it up. Gibarita uh, Isuson. All right. Well, that's the I, name of the track. I can Ed. live with that. Yeah, that's the track. Let's hear a little bit of Eddie Palmieri and then we'll come back. So, no, this is one of your picks. I just want to say that, you know, when I was in college listening to Eddie Palmieri, it was being introduced to me kind of as the music of salsa and the music of mambo. I probably heard my first mambo recording of any kind with Eddie Palmieri. And 
you know, he sort of walks in two worlds, the world of just Latin music and then the work of jazz. But this album, to me, as much as I've listened to it so far, feels like a jazz album. It's definitely uh, a really great Latin jazz album. And he he said as much uh, himself as the album was coming out that it's it was a superlative Latin jazz album. I think he had a quote about how when you're his age, uh, humility is kind of a waste of time. But... Uh, <laughs> um, which I think is underselling his own humility, but he is um, bringing all of those things to bear, the, the Latin end and the, and the jazz end with great mastery and authenticity, and he's surrounding himself with other musicians who do the same. You'll hear the low end from Lucas Curtis on bass, who um, Connecticut listeners uh, might be familiar with, given his roots here. All right, so um, let's, um, well, you quickly react. I just don't want to run out of time here. We've got a lot of music to get to. But Amanda, quick quick take on this? No, it's just fabulous. I mean, Eddie Palmieri is, you know, a jazz legend and has done so much for the music. And, I, yeah, I mean, kind of everything Noah said, really. Amanda, I just, you talked about, yeah, Amanda, you talked about the shock of recognition. When yeah. You hear, you, you know, I mean, this, this, that's how it hit me when I heard the first the first note. Wow. What a shock. It's Eddie Palmieri. He's still doing this, mm-hmm. and he's 81. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. All right, so we're going to head into the break, uh, but I want to take a few minutes because uh, this is uh, an important cut for you, Noah, uh, setting up this uh, artist, uh, Fabian Amalzan uh, and Rhizome. Uh, before we hear it, uh, tell us a little bit about it. This album, Alcanza, features uh, um, this group of Fabians with uh, Linda O oh on bass and Henry Cole on drums and then a string quartet plus uh, Camila Meza on guitar and voice. Um, the compositions are beautiful, and it's also uh, one of the uh, landmark albums for the launch of Biophilia Records, which Fabian founded, which is uh, full of environmentally conscious artists who are bringing that uh, into their work with the labels. So they put out a great record by Linda, a great record by Ike Sturm this year, and Fabian's composition and uh, and the whole band's playing on this record is just Utterly breathtaking. This is called Alcanza Suite One, Vida Absurda Ibella. I do want to say that this one and Noah's May Sun album, these are ones where like it's hard to represent them with one cut because the music is kind of really different from. Cut I to certainly cut to cut. struggled with that. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to pick one that sort of says, says it. But you, what you'll hear um, all through this album is the power of this, you know, sort of Chronos or Turtle Island style string stuff that's going along with what he's doing. So here we go. Today's show was produced by me, Kion Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Kenny G. 
On tomorrow's show, we'll either do a show about redheads or the snow will make us put on a rerun. And now, back to Colin. So first of all, uh, let me reintroduce the panel. We're talking about the best jazz releases of 2017 with Noah Behrman, jazz pianist, composer, educator, uh, author, uh, Amanda Monica, jazz guitarist and composer, uh, teaching at Berkeley College of Music and recording artist. Uh, they're both recording artists. Check out their work wherever you listen to recorded music. Uh, Gene Seymour, uh, writer, professional, spectator, mayor of our uh, annual jazz wrap-up, pop culture maven, book reviewer, uh, everything. And he's joining us from the NPR Midtown Manhattan studio. And this is one of your picks here, Gene. These are two guys who will be familiar to people, even if they're not necessarily jazz mavens. Uh, John Batiste, uh, who people know perhaps from the Stephen Colbert show, and Wynton Marsalis, who people know from right. everywhere. Yep. Um, every once in a while, the uh, I call it the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Even though they build themselves as a jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra, I, I'm not going to get into the semantics about that. But um, John Batiste... Uh, who was, a, who was playing piano, uh, wanted to pay tribute to someone he considered a, a great influence, John Lewis. Not, and This is not the same John Lewis that we know no. uh, from Congress and from SNCC. This is the equally important and famous John Lewis who founded the Modern Jazz Quartet, which played you know for over half a century, and also composed many works uh, that were part of the jazz repertoire. And... Lincoln Center Jazz and Wynton Marsalis are all about jazz repertory, so they did a concert a few years ago of some of his work, rearranged for this particular orchestra, tailored to its strengths, and and even, and I, I know that Wynton sometimes leans a little heavy on saying, we're here to swing, but he makes these arrangements swing harder somehow than they did even under Lewis's uh, command. So uh, I thought this was one of the... I mean, it, it seems like like another, you know, kind of honoring the dead thing. But this was a real revelation on, right. to hear this stuff. And I think, again, this is one where you want to hear the whole album because it's hard to pick out, like, one part of one cut and give people the sense of this. Hey, I'm going to have us break format a little bit just so I can make sure I land this plane intact. And uh, so we're going to jump, uh, rather than to get you guys to react to that, we're going to jump to, I think, maybe my favorite thing that I listened to to get ready for this show. Uh, it's by a trombonist. It's one of um, Amanda's cuts. It's by uh, Joe Fight. Feidler. Um, and well, first of all, w- the first thing we should say, Amanda, because people will enjoy this, this man has tremendous Muppet cred. Oh, yeah. He's the musical director for Sesame Street and has been for the last seven years. And he's so much more b- besides that, too. So I don't know. As we set this thing up, we're going to hear uh, this terrific cut called Maple Avenue Tango. I don't know. Is there anything you want to say about it? Um, 
Joe Joe's music is just really fun. The arrangements are his arrangement arrangements are great. His sense of melody is fantastic. Um, he's also his technique on trombone is is you know with extended techniques and all that is is pretty advanced. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it really is a lot of fun. Uh, there's also a Lin Manuel Miranda connection. He was the first trombonist in in the Heights uh, Orchestra, uh, and uh, I I don't know. I just this is the song that I listen to, and then just listen to it again and listen to it again because I just having so much fun. So uh, the album's called Like Strange. It's a slightly different band configuration for Joe Feidler, who teaches at Princeton, I believe. And uh, so let's hear some of that. Maple Avenue Tango, and it's like some uh, maple-coated uh, caramel corn that mm. I was recently given in the sense that I just couldn't stop eating it. Uh, you, like, have another handful. <laughs> so great. Uh, and really, I wish we could hear that you could hear the whole cut because it really develops really nicely. Um, and so uh, we've got enough time, I think, for you guys to react a little bit uh, before we uh, get to uh, Jimmy Green and, and ideally our, our final cut, too. But so, uh, Noah, yeah, go ahead and react. It really is a fun record, uh, another one that Amanda hip me do so thank you for that um, it's uh, it I, I, I feel like this was not my intention coming in to mm. debunk every um, uh, slight misperception about jazz that currently exists but one is that there's this mutual exclusivity between fun and mm. rigorous and artistically substantial and uh, that's never been the music's intention to my awareness is that it has to be um, Solemn and uh, right, tr- uh, drudgerous to get through in order for it to be legitimate. This is re- these are virtuoso musicians who are also bringing joy through what they're doing. I'm glad you're saying that too, because we should say that Noah will also be debunking uh, other attitudes and ideas about jazz on January 31st. He and I will be at Watkinson School, part of the Freshly Squeezed series. We're going to do a, a winter program on jazz. Uh, it's uh, you're invited. You have to go to Watkinson.org to buy your ticket. You can buy a ticket for a lovely dinner beforehand. Two. We'll have oh, the wonderful singer Atla de Champlain on stage with us. Uh, Steve Davis, talk about trombonists. Uh, Steve Davis is going to show up and play. You've got a rhythm section coming in with you. Who's, who you Henry got? Lugo on bass and Jocelyn Pleasant on the drums. So it's going to be exciting and fun. If you're in the audience, we're going to have you maybe sing a jazz standard. Atla's going to teach you how to scat uh, at the end, uh, and you're going to just learn a lot about jazz and have various prejudices of yours debunked. And, and but you're also gonna have a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of Joe Feidler. So uh, Gene, yeah, quick. Re- uh, you know what, Gene? Uh, you, you might uh, uh, understand one of my. When I first heard that that tango, I thought. 
this they should be like the backup band for Tom Waits or something. This like feels oh, like yeah. it would be a great Tom Waits. No, no, in the interest of time management, I will merely agree with everything Noah said and just say very, very cool. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, How's very that, cool. That's up. Very cool, very fun. All right, so um, Noah, I wanted to make sure we have plenty of time to talk uh, about uh, this next cut. This is uh, Jimmy Green. We all know Jimmy Green. And I think most listeners know, unfortunately, uh, the the very tragic part of Jimmy Green. But he's taken something very tragic and just repeatedly turned it into just this incredible, shimmering beauty. And it's happened again. It really has. And uh, so this is the second album in the Beautiful Life series that Jimmy has come up with uh, as a tribute to his daughter, Anna Grace, who was murdered in the Sandy Hook um, shooting in 2012. And... It would seem an awkward segue. I didn't create the segue anyway, talking about fun to talking about this, but actually one of the main uh, uh, purposes behind this album was to take his previous Grammy-nominated album, A Beautiful Life, and uh, which was a tribute to Anna Grace as well, but also create music that was more fun and more akin to the dancing energy that she actually embodied in her life. So it's a less, for the most part this cut being somewhat of an exception, a less solemn record and more hard grooving and uh, um, just another really courageous work of art that Jimmy's come up with. Right. I think also just music again and again heals us. Uh, it heals the people who make it. It heals the people who hear it. So uh, let's hear a little of Flowers and then uh, Gene and Amanda can react too. I had no time to write you a poem I went too soon to write you a song Left you some flowers They've been here for hours Next time I see you There'll be so many more to be fading this too but you're going to want to hear the whole album anyway uh, we should mention who the vocalist is uh, Noah. Uh, it's a Sheena Ritai who is a student of uh, Jimmy's in when he was teaching up in Winnipeg who's actually best known for doing more sort of folk bluegrass roots music uh, on her own but she just seems like the right voice for this though. she did just a perfect job very the right voice so Gene yeah go ahead and react um, well I just want to concur what you said about the healing power of music most of the music that Jimmy Green and others, in fact, have recorded uh, in the wake of, of Sandy Hook has had this odd co- contrast of at the one time being very, very, you know, ha- having this element of of sorrow and yet bracing it all together is, is this exuberance rhythmically and otherwise, even harmonically, that that, as you say, you know, it makes us all feel I don't want to say better exactly, but but places places what we're sorrowful about in a different frame, um, and I think that there's always room for music like that. Yeah, if always. not if not better, somehow we transcend. You know, I mean that's yeah. what music does; it helps us transcend. That's what go, I want to say. Go ahead, Amanda. I don't think we could get through life without music like this. Mm-hmm. I think that Jimmy, both with his first um, volume of Beautiful Life, and now with this one covering. Um, so many of the various facets of emotions um, 
you know, remembering a beautiful life and acknowledging the tragedy and feeling it fully and expressing it through music. I mean, both of his records um, just completely rocked me, you know, just my world and, and just emotionally just were so, so powerful. Um, and I just want to add to that. It was actually Amanda who introduced me to Jimmy back in 1991. And he's just a beautiful human being. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is slightly out of context, but I think a common thread with many of the musicians, at least the one who I have the privilege of knowing who wind up on these lists, is they're embodying just a great depth of humanity through mm-hmm. their music. It's not just the notes they play. It's really part and parcel of trying to be a, a positive force in the world. We're going to end here. I do want to say like yeah. a, another really beautiful human being, Paul Brown, actually introduced me personally to Jimmy, brought him into my studio when Jimmy was a very young guy. Uh, and we lost Paul uh, in the last 12 months or so, and that's not good. Uh, but anyway, what is good is this show. Gene Seymour is the mayor of this show. We wouldn't do it without him. Uh, and Noah Behrman will be joining me at Watkinson on January 31st. Uh, and Amanda Monaco, so great to meet you. You, you fit right in. I don't know whether that's a good thing about you or not, but you do fit right in with us. So. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.